This is WMNF Tampa. Celebrate Juneteenth with your Tampa Bay community and community radio station. WMNF commemorates Juneteenth at the Palladium Theater on Saturday, June 18th with an array of black excellence. Featuring music from Soul Caravan, local artists, and musical directors Kenny Walker and Vincent Sims, plus other special guests. Expect the best renditions of Earth, Wind, and Fire and a soul review, all while connecting with neighbors and friends. Plus, tune in that week on 88.5 FM and the WMNF app to on a Juneteenth with special music, stories, and guests on air. For more information and to buy tickets, go to WMNF.org. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the ever-stylish Annie Ellis. Hi, Annie. Hi. Annie is wearing a giant sunflower. <laughs> because we are talking about bees and, and pollinators. pollinators. Yes. Answering your calls is Clark, and working the boards is Mr. Bill Grace. Yay. So, Annie, how was your week? Uh, well, I've uh, finished up all the paint jobs. I'm thrilled to death. I'm finally done in my house. Uh, well, you know, for now, it's a 100-year-old house, and that's continual. But I want to know what you do, because you are far more interesting than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that uh, you and I have in common is we both are growing an ant plant. Yes. Oh, that's right. We talked about that. Well, private, privately, yeah. Privately, yeah, yeah we didn't talk and, about it there. Uh, so do you want to tell the listeners what an ant plant does? No, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, they it's get the, it's it's something that they coincide together. I know. That. Yeah, they get these big uh, bulbous trunks and roots, and then they naturally make little tunnels it's and so cool cavities looking. for ants to yeah, move it into. Yeah, looks like those big termite hills if you cut the end off. Yeah. And uh, I'm just in love with them now. Yeah, it's very cool. Somebody gave me mine, and I'm like, "What in the heck?" And then you have a different kind. Yes, I have three different types, and uh, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> they're from Asia and Australia. They, you can grow them in like an orchid, bright indirect light, but they're just so fascinating to look like they look at. They look like nothing else that we really have. Yeah, I've never seen the kind that you had. It just looks like gelatinous at the bottom with sticks coming up. Yeah. It's very interesting. Pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, we like them because they have a nice symbiotic relationship. They provide a home for the ants. And then the ants, when they forage, they bring back their food and then they go to the bathroom inside the plant. And then that provides the fertilizer for There's the plant. There's a bathroom in your plant? Well, <laughs> if you're an ant, yes, there is. It's everywhere. <laughs> so uh, speaking of cute little organisms, we have uh, Angela Rodriguez-Diaz. We're going to be talking about beekeepers and the importance of honeybees and also our Florida native bees. Yes. But first, we have a special guest, the Director of Community Health and Wellness from the Tampa General Hospital, Kim Christine. And she is going to tell us what is happening at the hospital in regards to sustainability. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Good Thank morning. you very much. Happy to be here. So can you tell us uh, some new uh, wellness initiatives you have going on? Yes, would love to. Um, 
we just launched a brand new initiative. It's a really, really cool concept. It's called Tampa Well. And Tampa Well is really a, a platform to bring together our community to improve the health and well-being of our residents. And what's really neat about it and different about it than some other wellness initiatives that, that we might have seen or have going on out there is it's really driven by the community. And the idea is to really create a wellness movement that um, brings together all the stakeholders across our community from, from big business to the healthcare systems to universities and school systems to, um, our foundations and, and to bring everybody together to create a common mission for health and wellness. And the three pillars that we're focusing on for this initiative are movement, healthy eating and access to healthy foods, and positive mental health. So nothing um, real crazy about those three pillars, but the neat part about this is about the way that the community comes together to drive this initiative. Yay. That sounds like a good way to go, uh, that everybody's going to get involved and it's not just one. That's, a, that's wonderful. I love the name, Tampa Well. Tampa, Tampa Well. Yeah. We, we selected that name because, um, again, it's, it's a community initiative. The city of Tampa is on board with mm-hmm. us, Mayor Caster. We're working with them. And then we're working, like I said, with organizations throughout the entire city to really bring this to life. How can someone get in touch with you about that or how do, how do they find out more? So they can find out more by going to our website, www.tgh.org backslash Tampa Well. Okay, that's great. We'll have that on our, our site as well. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you for coming yeah. on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Kim. Have a nice day. Thank you. You, you as well. All right, so Annie's going to now introduce uh, beekeeper Angela Rodriguez-Diaz, and I forgot to mention that she's live here in the studio, and we haven't had a guest in the studio in, oh, two years. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a really long time. I'm actually looking for that page, and oh, here it is. Page number one. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Well, actually, it's two for me, but <laughs> who's counting? Uh, so we have, yeah, it's great. We have uh, Angela Rodriguez-Diaz in here. She's wearing a... Uh, a t-shirt that says wild regan honey and it has a beautiful picture of a bee on it and uh, so i just want to tell you a little bit about her she has always been in tune with nature and she was raised in the town of corazal uh within the mountains of puerto rico uh taught her and it taught her to respect all living things her time with the u.s army has also fortified that connection and i bring that in because we're going to be talking about uh that and how that relates to her honey hives uh or honey beehives uh so Welcome to the Sustainable Living Show, Angela. We're so glad you're here. Happy to be here. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so I would, we have some questions, you know, figured out, but of course we're going to go off of them. <laughs> we never really stay on them that long. Uh, so what started you getting so involved with beekeeping? What was your beginning? Well, I went to see, uh, visit a friend. He was showing me how to harvest honey. Mm-hmm. Just out of the blue. He's like, anybody wants to come in and see it? And I was, yeah, sure. I'd like to see it. Then once we were there, everything was so fascinating. I didn't understand anything he was saying. So I spent hours all night long just Googling every word he was telling me and reading. (laughs) And the more you read, the more you want to know. And you continue to see so many amazing things they do. And you never stop because it's something that 
benefits everybody. Absolutely. So that's that's fun. So you just continue. You stayed up all night googling to find out it's more. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating actually. And um, do, I know that um, you also uh, go to. Uh, people's properties that have the unwanted swarms. I think that's how you met Kenny. Isn't that correct? So, yeah. So tell us about that a little bit, because I know people freak out when they see honeybees somewhere and they don't understand that, because I know there's more to it than just coming and swarming, they rest, and so on. So if you can tell us a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah, right now this is swarm season, so it's going to be happening. They want to reproduce. It's a natural thing. It's going to happen. They want to find a good place. They send a few scouts out there looking for new places, and that new place could be your chimney, your owl box, your uh, soffit, anywhere. Mm -hmm. So it happens to be in Kenny's, um, was it owl houses or bat houses? Yeah, we had three owl houses that were all... Uh, being occupied by honeybees. Wow, they, it was a good spot for them. They liked it. They liked the small cavity because they are yeah. cavity nesters. So that's what they look for, a nice high, uh, place to hide, dry, high, usually higher than 10 feet. So, yeah. But they can go to any cavity. Yeah. You know, what I wanted to know, too, is because I understand a lot of people do get all panicky when they're not really settling in to make uh, a hive. They come and just swarm and they're resting and they leave. Isn't that correct? Correct. They normally send the scouts out to find a new place, but the queen is so big for her. <laughs> she can't fly so long. She can't fly that long. So she, yeah, she's not meant for flying. She goes out to mate yeah. and then she comes back to the colony. Okay. So she's resting. Okay. So all they do is cover her to protect her That's, until she's ready to fly. That is so interesting. So when people panic, it could just be because the queen is there resting and they're around her to protect her. And it's yeah, not if you've never seen it, it's yeah. like a tornado. A oh, beast. wow. It's, it's really fascinating. You hear the noise. Uh-huh. Something's happening. You look up and you see this big tornado. And it's intimidating, yes. but it's not. They're just gentle. They're not even thinking about you. It's about protecting their queen so they can move on to their permanent place. Yeah, they just have a job to do, and they don't, they're not interested in stinging us unless we aggravate them. So what do you do when you, do, uh, when you save those hives? Uh, what do you do with them? You, depends on the location. Of course, it requires some equipment and, and some time to, to remove them. But once you have them, we try to protect them. We try to check on them to see if they have any diseases, anything to bother them. And per state regulations, we requeen them. So you say you check to see if they have any diseases. So you put them in a hive and then you isolate them from some other ones that you might have? Is that what the way you manage Absolutely, that? Absolutely, yeah. Having hives in my place, I keep them in a different stand and I keep an eye on them. I watch them more often, inspect them more often. There's many diseases they can have, many problems. And to control the uh Let's say uh, Africanized genes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that too. Go ahead. Yeah, so that the state requires that we control those. So it's a requirement to requeen with a good genetic queen. Okay. So that's something I do after a week or so, making sure everything's fine. Get a new queen and requeen them. How do you know she's Africanized? Or is that what they also call the killer bees? Is that the same thing? Yeah, but of okay. course we don't have a full genetic African bees, we have, it's called like diluted bees. So there's a chance, so the state doesn't want to take anything, (laughs) any chances. So that's why we do it. But you don't really know Okay, there's not a way to tell. They just want you to do that just in case. Right, but sometimes you can't tell if Africanized when they follow you. Oh, they're a little more aggressive. They can show aggressiveness, but during the swarm, they don't. 
Okay. And uh, I'm going to ask one more question, and then I'm going to throw it over to Kenny because I'm hogging the mic. <laughs> Can they be incorporated into the honey-producing homebox bee colonies, or do they become their own separate entity? No, that colony, once you have them in a box, you have a queen, and mm-hmm. you requin them, they're fine to grow. And, and so they don't mix with each colony. They stay in their own box? Exactly. They have a queen. They have Got their it. own colony. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting because I didn't know. Thank you. All right. So let's take a moment to reintroduce our guests. You're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is beekeeper Angela Rodriguez-Diaz. If you want to be part of the conversation... If you have experience with bees, if you have a bee problem, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. And I do have a little uh, traffic report. In Manatee County, the Anna Maria Bridge is closed on Westbound State Road 64 to Manatee Avenue West. Wow, that's a big one. Yes. So, Angela, a lot of people, I'm assuming are surprised when beekeepers charge a fee. But if the beekeepers are removing the bees and then they get to keep the hives, why do beekeepers need to charge a fee? (laughs) Well, first of all, you need to be educated. Um, It's a lot of classes you have to take. You need to be certified with the state. So it's a job like any other. Uh, You need to know what you're doing. You need to spend money on classes and equipment and your time also. And you do it for the safety of the uh, public also. Yeah, and I'm not going up there. So, <laughs> no kidding, I am totally not going up there. Oh yeah. my God! I would. I mean, I know that boxes and the equipment is expensive, but your time is. Oh yeah, and skill level. Yeah, like you said, you have to learn all that. All right. So, how much? So, um, when do you remember when you took the three hives from my property? Like six months ago, maybe. Oh, no, it was more than that. More than that, all right. So how long, so you take these like wild bees that just moved into the owl box, how long until you put them in a new hive and you can start collecting honey? It could be a year because in your case, we have to remove the comb from that box. So we have to do what we call cut out. We actually remove every piece of comb with the brood in it, meaning you have the babies, baby bees, you have the eggs. So that goes into special frames. That goes inside the box, but without having anything to attach it to, we have to use rubber band. So it takes some time to do this, and it takes a few stings probably, and if there's any problems, we have to remove usually beetles. It's something that bothers them. And once they get to establish the hive, they're going to need a lot of sugar water, nectar, to build a new hive. So it takes some time for them to rebuild it. Then you add the new queen. Getting a new queen established with the, with the hive can take some time for the for that to readjust. So... Yeah, I would say a year because when you go into winter, they slow down. So you probably get honey for the following spring. Wait a minute. So they re-glue, like re-wax the comb that you cut out into the frame that you put yes, in? Yes, ma'am. Oh, my God, that is they fascinating. So we wow. use rubber bands for a few days, but after a while, they use wax to replace it, restore it, reattach. And That's this- so cool. They do everything. So, of course, we want to keep the bees happy. Angela, do you happen to know what are some of the top flowers that the bees go to in Florida? Okay, most of the trees here, native trees, are good. But if you want to talk about, like, backyard beekeepers or just my garden, your garden, mm-hmm. there's a lot of native bees. And uh, they grow so well. They're so 
easy to grow. You can find them anywhere, but maybe let's mention firebush is one of those. Sunflowers, I think sand dune <laughs> sunflowers is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sweet <laughs> almond sure. bush, I believe it's not native, but it's very well adjusted to Florida. It uh, smells so good. Native coffee, it smells so good. Bees love it. You get pentas, you have... Uh, I'm forgetting some of the names. Uh, the but Biden's what, Alba, too, right? I was going to say the so-called weeds. Yeah. I mean, so, wrongfully called weeds, but they're <laughs> wildflowers. Yeah, they are. So okay. we actually have two emails, and one of them is from MJ Clark. She says, um, regarding the Bidens, which is what uh, oh, Annie perfect. just mentioned, she said people hate the Bidens because they have sticky seeds, yeah. but she noticed that her bees in her backyard love them. And then she was asking about some alternatives, which um, Angela just listed. And we also have an email from Kenny Gill, which Angela and Annie, I think, know. He said, I've been keeping honeybees for the past year and really enjoy seeing the bees come and go as they pollinate my fruits and vegetables. Now that I have bees, I'm making more of an effort to plant things that provide nectar and pollen for the bees. So what are some bee-friendly plants that I should be growing in the Tampa. So Angela just listed, there's a bunch of native plants. Angela, what do you think about, like, I don't want to say invasive, but plants that aren't from Florida. <laughs> and, and, you know, they're, I mean, some of them are invasive and they're just covered in bees. Should people, you know, what should we do for the bees? Should we get rid of a plant that has tons of flowers? and switch it to something native where the bees aren't as attractive? Well, attracted native to it. is easier to grow. Native is here for the environment. I mean, it's, it's something you don't really have to do much to maintain. And um, nature was created. Every, every plant has, a, has an animal that's going to go to. It could be bumblebees, it could be bees, wasps, any other. So keeping the native and the, like I said, wrongfully called weeds, Helps us. I mean, they look good. If you can maintain just one spot in your garden, also heaps, uh, it's going to help the native bees that we often don't see them. We mm-hmm. sometimes don't talk about it because we don't see them. We don't think they exist, but they need our help too. Goldenrod is something that's beautiful. It grows really well, and it's actually one of the very few uh, nectar supplies for fall when we don't have much supplies, um, like nectar supply. Also, we have that invasive Brazilian pepper. <laughs> they love it, don't they? I they know. love it. But you don't really want it. Here. But we don't want it. So we have this love-hate relationship with it, <laughs> as you can see. Yeah, you know, I love the blanket flower. You know, it's not it's not native, they've discovered recently. It's uh, naturalized, but it's something that really it grows a lot of flowers and it grows so easily. I'm finding mine are growing in the cracks of the cement. So if something like that, anybody can grow it if, if it grows in the cracks of the cement. The mimosas and the, uh, I think it's blue basil. African. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, the African blue Very basil. good for bees yeah. and look good in your garden too. Yeah, it does. So we have a couple more emails coming in. One is from JR. He has a hive in his garage. What? And he wants to know who he can contact about relocating them. So Angela, where... Where would you go? Like, what would you Google to find a beekeeper near you? Okay. The um, University of Florida, Florida Agricultural, I believe they have the website. They have a list of the uh, honeybee eradication, uh, relocation, (gasps) removal list. You can contact any of those professional beekeepers for removals. Can you specify that it's not for eradication? Can you say, I only want it removed and rehived? The list shows the people that that are home. Yeah. Beekeepers, and there's other people they can remove them 
exterminated, but you want to keep the beekeepers. So there's a list on the website, Tampa Bay Beekeepers Association, also Penelas Beekeepers Association. They all have a list of all the different bee removal people, professional people, mm-hmm. and they keep the bees. They take care of them. They take care of you for a fee, obviously. Yeah, but you can make sure that it's not going to be eradication then. Absolutely, okay. yes. You, you okay. call them, you talk to them before that. We have a... Caller coming in, but first we'll do an email. Somebody wants to know, can you, uh, can Angela describe the process of requeening? Does that involve, doesn't that involve like a little cage? Yes. <laughs> you, you go the to queen a, cage. Yeah, she's in a cage. Uh, but if you go to a certified uh, queen breeder, I mean, it's not just anybody. They go to classes, they're certified to do this job. Um, genetics obviously matters. So they do provide different queen services for all of us. We can buy those queens, bring them to the hive, and you go and retire your queen. Uh, you can do this the day before. You can do it during the process. Basically, you go in. Get your old queen, gentle. Say bye bye, <laughs> and replace her with the next one. Okay. She stays in that cage because mm. they're not going to be accepting her right away. So you basically <gasps> give her some time for them to get used oh. to this new smell. They still smell the old queen, so they're going to reject her. So that's why she's kept safely in that cage that until is- the smell from the other one goes away, and they accepting this new smell. And there's the like a cork is made out of marshmallows. So the <gasps> bees can work their way in, getting the sweets out until they can release or it could be three or four days. So it's three or four days that for that, them to get the used process. to it. That is fascinating. And it's made with <clears throat> marshmallows. I wonder if it's made with oak or marshmallows. <laughs> 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 Something sweet talk. they can. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So we have uh, John on the line. Hi, John. Welcome to the program. Hey, hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call. No problem. Do you have a question about periwinkles? Yeah, do uh, what the bees or or hornets like periwinkles? I think they have a lot of hornets around. Do you, so you don't want the hornets? Is that what you're suggesting? Yes, uh, <coughs> I do like bees around, but I don't think they like periwinkles. Same no. thing, though. They're going to be attracted to the same thing. Yeah, Angela, have you noticed a difference? From- yeah. Flowers for uh, wasps and bees or wasps, just wasps? Wasps can use some of the flowers also. They go for nectar, but then most of the time they go for proteins. So ah. they go for all the, they can also kill bees just to get to the uh, proteins. Oh. So yes, they use, they use nectar, but they also use more protein than anything else. So wasps have a different way to pollinate. Seems like the periwinkles have flowers all year round. They do. I guess they, they're good for bees, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have different bees that go to different flowers. Even wasp and pollinator, they go to different flowers. You have like bumblebees, they go to specific flowers that other bees cannot go in because they need a longer tongue to get in there. So yeah. it's the like every flower has a different yeah. pollinator that goes to. That's why we the need periwinkles. to have a diverse. Yeah. My periwinkles are just a happenstance. I used to, I've been there for a long time and I used to just cut them down. But they're mm. beautiful flowers. So I just let them go and I have uh, big bushes of them. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think so. It must be all natural. grows in the sandy soil down here. Angela, do you know if the native bees are, are they on the same flowers as the European honeybees or are they? Not, not always. I mean, mm-hmm. they can share some flowers, but there's some that are specifically, you, you know, the uh, blueberries usually is pollinated by bumblebees. Um, squash, 
calabaza, a lot of those is bumblebees doing their job. Oh, yeah, the, all the fruit trees yeah. too, right? It depends on the size of the bee. They cannot reach inside the flower. It's like you have the hummingbird. Mm-hmm. Hummingbird can only use certain flowers. Bees cannot go inside the same flowers that the hummingbird mm-hmm. goes Yeah, for a specific reason. Their body is not made to go inside that deep. So there's different bees that go to different flowers. And, and it's good to keep all the native, all this diverse world but John, I, had que- I, had a, I, had a, I had a question that came up as I was listening, and that is, why do you have to replace the queen? Uh, the queen is get, uh, does the queen naturally get replaced in a hive when she gets old? That was my next question, John. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the list. He's going to be on the show next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, Angela. How often do the hives replace the queen? Bees communicate by smell. It's called pheromones, so they can detect when the queen is failing. Could be she's sick, maybe she has a disease, maybe she was contaminated with some kind of pesticide, anything. They can sense that she's getting weak and they start to feed new eggs in order to create a new queen. So there's a difference between replacing a queen when you catch a swarm and naturally replacing a queen that's getting old. So there's two different processes, but yes, uh, bees know when to replace the queen when she's old. And you're saying when you replace the queen when you, it's a swarm, it's because you she could be Africanized and you want to eliminate that gene pool from uh, continuing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a state requirement, so yeah. we do it to prevent any uh, spread of any other genetic, Africanized genetics. Yeah. Thanks, John. That was a good question. So yeah. we mentioned... Uh, Angela's beautiful t-shirt we mentioned, Annie's beautiful flower, but nobody has mentioned my t-shirt. Turn around, let's see it. I have a North American pitcher plant, which is a carnivorous plant, but they're all having flowers. <gasps> and when Angela's talking about the pollinators, yeah, giant bumblebees, native, native bees are the number one pollinators oh, of these wonderful. pitcher plants because the flowers are so large. And they're like an upside-down umbrella, so when the bee goes in there, it just walks around this upside-down umbrella, and it picks up all the pollen, and then the next flower goes to... Does that make seeds, too, when he oh, does yeah. that? Oh, that's yep. fantastic. Yeah, pollinates. No, Sorry we didn't notice. <laughs> Ours are very flashy. His uh-huh. is subtle. <laughs> <laughs> so we have um, another email, but before that, Annie, do you want to do the reintro? So oh, other sure. people can call in and ask questions? I would be happy to. Thanks. You're welcome. I'm Annie Ellis, and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is beekeeper Angela Rodriguez-Diaz. Diaz, probably. Diaz. Uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at... DJ at WMNF.org, and we will read it on the air. It's so nice to have the actual person in the room. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So, um, like John, he was able to foresee the next question. This uh, email also has the next question on. Oh, wow. It's from Smart Cindy. Ones. She says, the bee population has declined in my yard. I have oh. lots of plants that bees love, but, you know, the bees aren't here. So, Angelo, what are some reasons why we have a bee decline. There's many reasons. Um, simply by just walking outside, raking the leaves, doing landscaping, you might be doing a lot of damage without knowing it. Um, and then we don't want to talk about pesticides being used. And We all do want like to talk that. about that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we do. So something simple, you might be doing some harm without knowing it. Um, raking leaves, organizing your jar every now and then. So if you try to keep like undisturbed areas in your jar, um, in your jar, they can have nests. Some do underground. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have these small tunnels. Some of them, they're just using brush 
underneath the mulch logs. They just did uh, drilling holes to build a nest. So not everybody builds a big, big colony like the honeybees. So we always think about the honeybee because this one that produces more. It has more bees. But you have this one. They, they're solitary bee. They only grow maybe five, six babies at the time. They only drill a small hole, maybe like six inches deep. And they always go underground. So you don't really see them. And um, just by walking by, you, you step on them and you destroy that tunnel. Wow. Unknown. Yeah. So you have large uh, honeybee hives, but do you have places, do you build places for native bees to move into? There's a lot of places. I mean, if you leave the jar, not do anything to it, they'll find natural habitat by themselves. But you can also build those um, really cute uh, pollinator houses. Yeah, like a hotel. They're called hotel. There's so many different sizes. If you look at the, go on Google, you'll find all different ones you can do. It doesn't require much because basically using everything you have in the garden. I mean, you have uh, twigs, you have uh, logs, anything that you can put together and just leave it alone. I understand that those bee motels or hotels or uh, condos or whatever, (laughs) any any house of residence. Depending on where you live in Tampa. That's true. (laughs) Ritzy high rise. But but anyway, you have to change out the tubing because it gets, uh, every year, because it gets infected or diseased or something. Yes, contamination. So I just wanted to make that point. You know, people have buy things like that because they're cute and they put them out in the yard and then they they continue the problem because they're not uh, maintaining the uh, the homestead. Right, and most times the bees will go to another one. They'll find another place. Once this one is used and it has a lot of the residues, they will probably yeah. go and find another spot. So okay. having places undisturbed in the garden is good. But you also can do your own inserts. A lot of people use bamboo. Bamboo is really good to use. You got different sizes, so it's for the big bees and the small one. Because mm-hmm. native bees, we have over like 400 different uh, varieties of bees. And um, it wow. goes from the big bumblebee that you see to a tiny, like an ant bees that you don't normally see. Wow. You also have the sweat bees. It's very common, but they're really tiny, they're really small and cute. And they're beautiful, the color. They come and they're always on your skin trying to get the sweat of your mm-hmm. body. So <laughs> that's food for them too. So there's different sizes. So that's why having undisturbed areas in your garden is good. I mean, everybody can find their own And not just for home. bees. It's for everything. I mean, you know, the everything birds. Everything plays a role in insects. In, yes, yeah. in nature. Yeah. So they all need our respect in a way. I mean, we need to provide for them. But if you leave them alone and try to prevent any damage... They do their own things. I mean, their own. They don't need much from us. Yeah. Very Controlling good. pesticides is one and all that landscaping. So we have a couple of colors. The first one we'll take is Ira from Sarasota. And they have some tips. Hi, Ira. Welcome to the hey, show. How you doing? Uh, it's Ira. I was the urban chicken tractor guy a couple of weeks ago. I called Oh, him very I good. Thank you I for calling. I do a little hobby beekeeping. And uh, a couple of tips I just wanted to pass along that work for me is because we have those invasive lizards, the little small brown ones that are all around your house and stuff. Yep. Well, I built some beehives and I put a little bit of habitat in there for them. And then during the day, they would sit up by the door of the beehive and they would wait for the clumsy uh, uh, beetle to come in and then they would run over and chomp them right up. They'd eat the beetle before it went in the hive? Yeah, because they're awesome, and they could tell the difference between the bee and the, and the hive beetle. And wow, then, uh, guard and, dogs! Yeah, circle <laughs> of life. <laughs> and then for at night, I took three quarter inch PVC and bent it into some rocks that were right there, 
and then made them entrance at the hive door. And then I would catch the tree frogs at, uh, when I would find them and put them in those tubes. And the tube would protect them from the big invasive tree frogs. And then at night, they would sit up on the door and wait for the... The, the beetles? They would eat the wax moths. So it was just a couple tips that are natural ways. Oh, Ira, you are wonderful. I'm so glad you called <laughs> yeah, in. That's a great idea. Those are wonderful you're ideas. you're using them. Yeah, yeah, you're becoming part of nature and uh, and not uh, against it. Golly, good job. (laughs) So I learned some stuff from Angela today. I just want to say thank you. Mm -hmm. And then thank you to you guys for having a great show. Oh, thank Thank you, you. Ira. Appreciate you. All right, so Angela, there's lots of ways to have uh, bee boxes and hives. And have you built ones that are for individuals with disabilities? Yes, I have learned uh, to deal with the heavy weight that comes with beekeeping. Beekeeping requires a lot of lifting because once you have a hive full of honey, one box could be 50, 60, maybe 100 pounds. So it's difficult for many people. As a veteran myself, I have disabilities. So I've learned to build some that is basically horizontal. It it goes to the size. They grow to the size instead of growing up like the normal Langstrom. You have boxes one on top of the other. So... Anybody can build it and, and anybody can use it in a way that you can lower it to your um, height if you are on a wheelchair or you are a kid or somebody that you can't bend or you can't be doing any lifting. So there's many ways to work with bees without doing the heavy lifting. So I saw one at our friend Jenny's house and it was like that and it was it was like a raised bed. It had legs and it was horizontal. Is that what you're talking about? Like yes, that? That it was so fantastic and I had no idea that's what that was about. Was Very super. cool. So we have another call caller. We have Meg from St. Pete. Hi, Meg. Oh, hi there. Hello, hello. Love hello. Thanks. Do you have a question about bees or a story? Well, I have, yes, I, I have a comment and a question. Um, I plant a lot of natives in my backyard. Yay. So of, <laughs> yay. I have a lot of honeybees and butterflies and insects and um, but I do have um, passion fruit vines with like around 20 passion fruits right now on a fence. And I'm so happy because I get those giant dark brown. Swallowtails, yeah. So, no, well, no, I get the bees. Oh. Honeybees, or I mean bumblebees. And they also love my thunbergia. So they love the passion flowers as well as the thunbergia flowers. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're called carpenter bumblebees, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, you but have carpenters, just, which is native also, and bumblebees are native. They, are they all love those flowers. Is that the one that's oh. cutting the uh, little circles out of the leaf? I, I don't. I don't notice that on. No, oh, she okay. sees. On my vine. Yeah, she's talking about big ones. Usually, bumble. You have carpenter yeah. and you have mason. They're mason. All three of them are kind of big. The other one is smaller, almost the size of the honeybee, and it's a leaf cutter. Oh, that's bee. it. Yeah, <laughs> and okay. that, that's the one that's cutting like the, the, the leaves, leaves oh, it's Annie. The, <laughs> the, well, the ones I have are very large bumblebee types. Yeah, and it I looks like them. a school I'm bus. <laughs> There's yeah. a school bus of bees. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> with wings. <laughs> well, here's my question. Oh, and then one more comment. I do have one of those bee houses from, you know, Home Depot with the bamboos. I had no idea you should change them out. But I never have honeybees in them. It's some sort of like wasp bee type bee that 
you know, goes in there and then fills it up with a little closer dirt. You know, they tap it shut. Yeah, but um, I didn't really have any this year. So I didn't realize you should change out. But it's a different bee. It's Angela's going to tell yes, you. Because those are for native bees. Because we all pay attention to honeybees because they produce honey and they grow in big colonies. And where are honeybees from? Honeybees came from Europe uh, many mm. centuries ago. They came in with a colonizer. I think it was in the 1600s. Uh, they came in maybe Virginia. Um, but the native is the one you're making those hotels for. Native bees. Uh-huh. And the yeah. one you see all that mud is like plaster or like concrete in it. That's the mason bee building. Uh-huh. There's babies in there. Well, I'll have to look. Well, this year I, d- I didn't really have any. And you have to face it east. And in the past, there would be lots of business there. But um, I didn't realize, as you mentioned earlier, that you really should change out the tubes for um, cleanliness. Disease. Yeah, I didn't know that. So I yeah. have to look at mine. But lastly, my question is, sometimes, you know, I have my water buckets, I have a rain barrel, all that business. But um, I'll find dead honeybees. I know what honeybees look like. And it mm. distresses me because I don't use pesticides. I'm like, why? Why is there a floating honeybee in my water? Can you please address that? Yeah, well, there's a lot of things. I was going to mention that the native bees. Every every bee has a different cycle cycle of life. So I mean, they require so many days to hatch the eggs and the new larvae, and they go into poopy and they become an adult. So they, there's a time when they are doing this process, and then later on. They abandon the hive, they start a new life. So every bee, if you Google it, they all have different needs and different cycles. Some are longer than others. Uh, and some go into hibernation like the bumblebees. Um, but honeybees, all of the bees, they need water. So they're all going to find sources of water one way or the other. And then honeybees usually go to any source of water. And because they get so heavy with the water when they're drinking it, they drown. They go inside the oh. water. So we're supposed to provide oh. some kind of small plates and, and pebbles or maybe rocks, something they can stand on when they get the water. Um, mm-hmm. So if we don't do that, eventually they can find any water anywhere. It could be your pool. could be your cat's uh, water. And, and, and they can drown. So, so if you can provide something where they can stand on, that will be, that will be something you can prevent the death. So they need to wade, be able to wade in there, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they yeah. need something they can stand on where they yeah. get the water and they can take off. It's, if, you're not, if you don't have it, then they'll be flying and trying to collect water, but the weight of the water is going to make them fall yeah. in the water and drown. So oh, thank you, you Meg. That was a great thank question. You. They don't great make those job. little uh, safety belts for them now <laughs> yet. You have to get a little ramp. That's right. For all your water things. So uh, Annie's going to reintroduce you and then after that we're going to talk more about veteran projects yes, I would for love bees. to. Yeah, that's a good one. So I'm Annie Ellis and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is beekeeper Angela Rodriguez Diaz. If you want to be part of the conversation, please give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on the air. All right. So uh, earlier, Angela, you mentioned that you're a veteran. And what are some job opportunities for veterans with regarding beekeeping? With beekeeping, there's so many jobs because it's a it's a field that you can have the hobbyist, which is me, backyard beekeeper. I only have a few hives, but you have the people produce more. They have pollinator services. They go to all the farms or they even go to other states. So the logistics, everything that requires people to help them. Um, so jobs from 
helping somebody uh, do the harvest, mentoring other people, moving equipment with them, harvesting the honey, bottle the honey, or the bigger supplies. Like I mentioned, you can do pollinator services and everything from driving, moving equipment. Um, but for veterans, many of us have found something, some kind of comfort um, for coming from some different field than you I know it's funny, some people don't look at it that way, but you relax when you work the bees because <laughs> you're supposed to um, concentrate on what you're doing. If you don't, it's like the military. They train you, the discipline, they punish you. So if you don't do what you're supposed to. <laughs> so it's the same thing with the bees. So let they you know you if you're, if you're, not, if you're not following relaxed. what you're supposed to. <laughs> but you feel, you, you have some kind of gratification. You also have that sense of, adventure there's a risk there's all this fun you are outdoors also so there's many things that can connect with the veterans and it's, it's it could be a therapy also you know you had told me about i think probably both of us about the they have the uh, hives for heroes and um it's a really wonderful program but i read in there i was looking up some stuff of course and i read in there and this becky she's a bee mentor this is what she wrote and it just seems so appropriate right now we have known the difficulties of task separation and ptsd overseas assignments and the loss of community on retirement bees are have a social order a community that helps with many, many issues. I started my bee journey eight years ago and have never looked back. And to me, that just sa- that just says it. That you know, as a veteran, uh, you just it, it is relaxing and it is something that they just that people just relate to. Yeah, because you work as a group. Yeah, together for the betterment of the colony, for the betterment of the nation, of the group, the, mm-hmm. the, in, in our case, the platoon, the, the, the brigade, the army. So there's so many ways that you can connect because the structure of the beehive and all the things you need to do and pay attention to them. And, and I find it like it's, it's therapy. You can do so much. And if you stick to it, you learn how to work with it, you can actually make it a part-time job. It's not like it's going to make a lot of money, but, it, yeah, eventually can pay for the hobby. Mm-hmm. And many people, unless you go commercial, then you can make a little more money. But there's so many different jobs for women, for, for younger people. And when you look into the beekeeping business, there's so many ways to work bees, even without working bees getting stung. Mm-hmm. Um, the field is, is plenty of things. So it, I think it can include everybody. It's just we just need to let everybody know that this is good for everybody. So he, Heroes to Hives is in Houston, Texas. Right. Uh, Angela, do you know about other programs for veterans? Um, this one is actually nationwide. Um, oh, okay. They started well, it's in the, the PO University box of is Houston. Yeah, yeah, the University of Michigan started it. There's a course. You can take the course online. Uh, for veterans, and uh, maybe every other state has different programs for veterans, so I'm sure there's others in other names. Yeah, I would think that they would be teaching it uh, differently for different places because, yeah. you know, different weather conditions because they don't live in the cold. Mm-hmm. So they have to move them when it's a cold area to a warmer area or, well, or put one, blankets yeah, or whatever. One of the things in Michigan, I mean, if you're local to Michigan, you can come and work with Irby's at, at the campus, yes. But other people, you get the online classes and you can go and practice with other places. Maybe they have a partnership with other uh, universities, so it all depends on the states. Um, but the cold weather doesn't really change much because it doesn't. Go, 
yeah, even people in Canada have bees. So it's a different way of keeping bees from Canada, North Carolina, Florida, <laughs> Florida. We keep bees well, all year round. Well, that's it's interesting. Happening. That's interesting because I was watching that movie, The Pollinator, which I got to tell you, I could not watch it. I started watching it last night. I had to turn it off because it was going to hurt my feelings so much. It's going to make my dreams bad. So I got <laughs> I got back up this morning because I wanted to watch it before. And it was talking about the big systems of going to all the monocultures and so on, which is you know, I, I just can't even go on about that. But but uh, the guy was saying, oh, it's this particular uh, certain amount of degrees. We've got to move them to the warmer temperatures. And so that's why I thought that. So I guess the commercial guys do that. Yeah. Some yeah. people bring their bees to Florida during winter. And then oh, they take okay. them to pollinate um, almonds in California. <laughs> they, they have a little vacation. <laughs> so, yeah. But if it's your own bees, then you... Yeah, over winter. So we got a couple of callers. The first one we'll take is Linda from Holiday. Hi, Linda. Hi. Do you have a question or comment for Angela? Um, We had a swarm of bees that adopted our compost tumbler (laughs) and built a whole system in there, and they're producing honey. Wow. But every time, we try not to mess with them. <laughs> um, and it's been almost two years. We built a hive, and we thought we could get them to go in it, but we don't know how to do it. Um, I'm wondering if there's somebody who knows. Yeah, good question. Uh, your local beekeepers club have all that information. You mentioned you're from Hollywood? Holiday. Uh, no, Holiday. Holiday. So, yeah, it's got to be a beekeepers club near you, your county. You can search online for your county beekeepers association, and they have a list okay. of all the services. Yeah, somebody would, local to you can come and help you. So they would do what you were talking about earlier. They'd have to cut out the comb, remove it, and then put it in the frame. But it's in a compost. Yeah, you'd have to cut the compost. Yeah, every job box. is different. I uh, mean, the probably. way they're going to build, they can go inside anything—a column, a trash can, a yeah. soffit, the the garage. Yeah, it, it could be any different shape. So that's why it takes some time and and and, and equipment because you never know what you can find. Yeah, you're going to find. So she mentioned that this is an established hive. Um, they can become right. defensive oh. after a while. So that's why she needs a professional I'm to come in and take a look them. at. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Smart woman. Yeah. <laughs> Contact your yeah. county beekeepers association or your extension office. They also have oh. this information for you. That's a great resource. Yeah, it is. All right. Thanks, Linda, for calling. Okay, thank you. So we got a couple of emails. The first one is I am having some issues with wax moths in my hive. Mm. They've put up a two-liter fermented banana traps and inspecting them weekly. Any suggestions to help control? And then they were told that neem oil is transferred to the pollen of the treated plants and kills the bees. (gasps) Is that true? Well, it could be, but I want to talk about the moth. Um, They come in after the hive is declining. So something is hurting your hive. You need to find a mentor, maybe your county beekeepers association. Somebody can come and help you or contact your apiary inspector. Um, Moth is something that comes in and take advantage of a weak hive. So something could be happening, varroa mite, it could be beetles, it could be any viruses they get. So you have a weak hive, but you, you need to find What's happening to the hive? How you know how your hive ended up this way? Because moth is just opportunistic pest. Oh. I'm, I'm going to do a little self promo. Do you guys know what a TED Talk is? Yes. So I have an animated TED Ed video about wasps, 
and it's about the year in a life of a wasp. And it talks about when they get tired, those wax moths and little beetles move into the hive mm. and take over. That's awful. Well, didn't and, and at Ira he had said something about these little tube things yeah. for that. Maybe we can y'all can re-listen to it later. Yeah. So we also have uh, Patty Quimby, who's my. She's like a couple blocks away from me. Hi. She wants to know, is there a best time of year to clean out the tubes of the bee hotels because they're native and they're kind of active all the time? Mm-hmm. Or are they less active in the winter? Yeah, because they all have different cycle, but most of them will be done after summer and fall. Yes, that, that will be the time then you start to look and replace or change it, clean it. Yeah, okay. the winter, winter native. Yes. Very good. Well, not winter time, but no. fall probably. Oh, Because okay. like the uh, bumblebees, they go on the ground, they go hibernating. So every bee has a different requirement. Wow. All right. And then on the line, we have Lisa, who's part of the Sustainable Living events team. Oh, hey, Lisa. And thank you, Lisa, for calling in. She's going to tell us some events that are happening in the area. Awesome. Well, we have some really cool things coming up. So starting with uh, probably... I don't want to say the main event, but it's, it's, I'm a little partial. Tonight, <laughs> at, from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m., we have uh, Bill Bilodeau, Gardener Extraordinaire, and he will be giving his annual monthly ad, uh, sorry, as a summer veggies. So uh, he is the, uh, this is his, I believe, 10th year that he teaches this uh, program, and he's been changing it and modifying it. So uh, a lot of people have a lot of problems growing in the summertime and many people just give it up and like cover it up for the summer but he has actually become an expert at growing food in the garden for the summertime so he's actually today he's helping me out with the program uh which is the next one i'm going to talk about but uh he's setting up a summer garden program for uh for some students in st petersburg so if you're interested in coming tonight to learn from bill billado that's going to be at enoch davis center which is in St. Petersburg. It's 1111 18th Avenue South in St. Petersburg. And again, it starts at 6.30 p.m. So it's going to be pretty full. So make sure you uh, try to get there on time. And then there will also be a Zoom link that will go out if you're on our uh, the SUAC uh, website. And so if you don't have that yet, you can go to the Facebook page. It's Sustainable Urban Agriculture Coalition Facebook. And you can log in to, uh, to become a follower. And then the next event is the one I kind of alluded to, which is a special program in St. Petersburg that is partnered with Great Exploration Children's Museum. It's actually uh, a pilot program for the Midtown Community Youth Garden, and that is on the corner of 15th Avenue South and 22nd Street for youth entering 6th grade to entering ninth grade. And you have to be either going to school or living in 33711, 33712, or 33705. Those are all St. Petersburg and Gulfport area. So uh, if there's any question, you can reach out to Great Exploration Children's Museum and ask for Lisa Pineda. And that is going to be for eight weeks this summer. Uh, youth are going to be getting together one time a week in seven different cohorts and coming up with different models and entrepreneurship uh, ideas for creating a sustainable food system for our area. So if you're interested in that, again, reach out to uh, L. Pineda, so L-P-I-N-E-D-A at Great X. That's G-R-E-A-T-E-X dot org. And then lastly, this is over on the uh, the other side of the bay. So this is the um, Tampa Heights Cultural Fest. A Juneteenth celebration is this Saturday from on June 11th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. The address is 2005 North Lamar Avenue. That's Tampa, Florida, 33602. It's going to be all sorts of performers. There's uh, 
Janelle and Bete Fit and Queen of X, so all sorts of cool things going on. There's a free registration link, which is, ooh, that's really small. Hold on one second. <laughs> Let me make this bigger. Okay. I need the glasses. <laughs> yeah, I know. THCF22.eventbrite.com. Very good. Thank you, Lisa. And we're going to put all of that on our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it, Lisa. So I just want to remind listeners that in Manatee County, the Anna Maria Bridge is closed on Westbound State Road 64 to Manatee Avenue West. All right, uh, Annie, we only got... Two minutes. I got this great question because I th- we both think this is fun. Okay, so I want you to talk about the dark colored uh, honeycomb that's at the like the bottom. So tell me what's in that and why we don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, fascinating. The bees use the sugar to turn it into wax, basically fat in the bodies, and it becomes a comb. So the clear color is fresh comb. As it gets darker, it gets residues and it kind of pesticide or body fluids every body time fluids. a new baby is born. So you don't want to eat that dark comb. You want to eat the fresh one, but that's why we replace it every so often. So that's the bathroom for the honeycomb. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is collected there after a while. Yeah. Oh All right. God. Very good. So Angela... Uh, Rodriguez Diaz, you are a wonderful guest. We, yes, you are. We Thank loved you. having you in the studio. So Where good. can listeners learn more about you and your beekeeping operation? Well, some of my adventures is on Wild Breaking Honey page. Uh, but if you want to know. On Facebook? On Facebook, yeah. But mm-hmm. all bee related, you can always go to the University of Florida uh, Bee Research Lab, and they have all the wonderful pictures, videos, all the information you need to learn. And we'll also have a lot of information on there about Angela and so how to get in touch with on, her on our site. On the WMNF.org page. Yeah, yes. there's lots of stuff. You guys ought to go on that. Yeah, because me and Annie are writing the show notes now. That's right. <laughs> we failed miserably for a while, but now we're on top of it. <laughs> all right. So, Annie, do you want to read the last paragraph? Oh, I don't know where it is. All right, I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> Annie was yelling at me earlier oh, no, before the show started. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> if you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please consider going to the WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar, and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on air. Stick around for the next hour to hear WMNF Tampa's Monday Music with Flea. If you want to hear more public interest programming, you can switch over to WMNF. NF's HD3 channel, The Source, to listen to today's Tom Hartman Show Live. Tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show, where we will be talking with Bertha Vasquez, the director of Science Saves. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF, to stay in the loop. I am Kenny Coogan. And I am Annie Ellis. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye, y'all. Here comes the sun, here comes the sun, I say it's alright. Little darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Little darling, it's been a long,